This is tape number five of the series, The Destination of Faith, Heaven by Dr. Joel Hunter. The subject of this message is, Uniqueness of Christians' Heaven, Modern Secular Viewpoint. Dr. Hunter's scripture text is Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, and from the New International Version, it reads as follows. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. And now, let's join in for praise and worship, followed by message number five, Uniqueness of Christian's Heaven, Modern Secular Viewpoint. In this series, The Destination of Faith, Heaven. Well, today I'm finishing the little mini-series within the mini-series of the Year of Faith. Um, I've been talking about a Christian's perception of heaven and how it differs from both the primitive and the major religion's perception. And today I want to talk about how it differs from the modern secular view of heaven. Um, We probably get into the more pervasive and more pernicious Danger today. I, I don't really uh, um, fear that many of you will become primitive in your religions and seek uh, a shaman and uh, only see heaven as an improvement of your circumstances. Although immature Christians do see heaven primarily as just as improvement of their circumstances. Um, I don't really. Uh, I'm not really concerned about many of you uh, changing to Judaism or Islam or Hinduism or whatever. Um, but there is something that concerns me, and it's a, it's a profound concern, and that is that all of us will take on the mentality of a secular mindset that would grow in a misperception of heaven because they have had the wrong source for their knowledge. You see, the very first misperception started from someone seeking the wrong source of knowledge, a source separate from God himself. When we came in here this morning and sang, Truth has a name, Jesus, we weren't just singing it to sing. It's really true. So let's talk about probably the most dangerous misperception of all. It, it's, it's, it's immature to think of heaven in terms of better circumstances. It's immature to think in terms of better performance. But it is radically wrong to think of heaven as in terms of changed status, i.e., you have replaced God as the center of the universe. Let me teach you how that happens. First of all, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. And I will show you that one of the most um, persevering heresies in the world started in the Garden of Eden. It's called Gnosticism. Gnosticism is, uh, comes from a Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. Gnosticism believes that knowledge is an end in itself. And it can be attained from intermediary sources, not just from God himself, but from other sources, sources other than God. Um, And uh, uh, it's something quite different, as you will see, from what a Christian believes. But let me show you where that starts. 
chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty. I like the word subtle better. Subtle. Uh, it, me- it means something dangerous is coming, but it's coming cumulatively. It doesn't show itself first. It's, it's an inch by inch thing. It starts off very small. The serpent was more crafty than any other creature which the Lord God has made. And as you know from the story, the serpent gets into a conversation with Eve about the garden, uh, or about the, about the tree which is in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, Eve's been thinking about this. You can tell it because when he says, did God say you shouldn't eat from any tree of the garden? Eve says, well, no, just the one in the middle. And, and then God said, if we eat it or touch it, we'll die. She's been thinking of it because she starts adding to what God says. That's what most people do who think a long time they add their own stuff in there. The serpent says, you will not die. Now look at verse 5. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now here's the first instance of people seeking knowledge that was separated from God himself. Knowledge that did not come by way of God's grace, thinking that that knowledge could benefit them. Indeed, that knowledge could increase their status or stature to be like God himself. Now, I want you to see the other bookend of this. Turn to Colossians chapter 2 and watch how hard Paul works to locate knowledge not in concepts, not in sources outside of God himself, but in the person of Christ. Let's start with about the middle of verse 2. And attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is... Christ himself. So knowledge is equated with Christ himself. In whom, very personal, not what, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now skip down to verse 6 with me. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Having been firmly rooted, that is something that has happened once but has a continuing effect. That's the verb tense there. And now being built up in him, so an ongoing process. The, the, the key word is in him. And established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude, see to it. And here comes the command. See to it that no one takes you captive like The serpent took Eve captive. Now, I'll explain this in just a minute. Through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of man, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Now, you're given a choice here. You can believe in things that sound reasonable, they sound logical, they have rationale. They're 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 the elementary principles of life. Or you locate all of those in a person himself. Rather than according to Christ, you learn from Christ about all of these things. Look at what it says. For in him, there's those words again, 
All the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. Notice how personal this truth is. The truth is Christ in whom? In him. In him. So on and so forth. You see? Now, what is this third perception of heaven that is so dangerous for us? Well, you're going to think I'm being just a little bit picky this morning. As a matter of fact, you may get a little bored with this. Because you're going to think to yourself, now, come on now. What's the difference between a person who believes in God, but is just trying to learn about God's world, you know, and then kind of dedicate everything they have to, to, to God, you know, the best they can, or someone who goes to God and asks Him directly for the knowledge of the world? Isn't that pretty much the same thing? And the answer is, no, it's not. One has a great deal to do with our ego. Ego, by the way, I heard the other day, I like this acrostic. Somebody said ego is an acrostic that stands for easing God out. I like that. One has everything to do with our ego, needing to be at the center of the universe, explaining things in terms of what we know, what we've learned. What affects us? And the other has everything to do with going to Christ and asking for wisdom, as it says in the first chapter of James. Now, I'm going to give you just three examples of what we do in this country, in this culture, and how we ease God out, so to speak, and how that affects our view of what heaven is. First example is very evident in the cults. And let me just relate to you uh, a bit of reading that I did this week. Uh, um, Alan Bloom, who wrote uh, Closing in the American Mind. Many of you read that. Uh, Alan's not a Christian, but um, um, he, he writes uh, perceptively. And he was talking about, he wrote a book uh, not too long ago called The American Religion. Talked about the American kind of religion and its characteristics and, and it had everything to do with Americans kind of putting themselves at the center of things. And he quoted a man named Knox who was noting a characteristic of particular religious enthusiasts. And he said this, quote, Their understanding of grace is that grace destroys our nature and replaces it with God rather than corrects our nature. Now watch this, very subtle, very subtle. What happens when people believe that all of their nature is gone and now all they have inside is God is that they begin to believe first that they can represent God and then that they can replace Him. Because if what you have inside is God, you don't need the transcendent God anymore. You've got him here. He said that people like this inevitably lust for theocracy. Theocracy uh, literally means the rule of the saints. God rules through the saints. And so here we have groups of people who believe they can speak for God. As a matter of fact, they kind of like that idea. Now, some of these theologies are very evident, very explicit in some of the, uh, some of the fringe religions we've had in America. Bloom uh, uh, 
examines Mormonism, for, by the way, uh, for, for example, which <clears throat> in classical Mormonism, the goal is to get to rule a planet yourself. You know, you work at this thing long enough, you ought to get to rule a planet yourself. Jehovah's Witnesses have as their goal to somehow rule the earth in the future. That when, when the, the new world comes, they will rule the earth. That's what they're working for. But I want to say to you that even though that's explicit, it's no more pernicious than those people who would say, you know what? God. God has completely replaced my personality with his. Now you think them, not many people think this, you've got to listen closer. There are certain pietistic perfectionists that would hope that God would use them to take authority and to begin to rule the world. The danger of that is that when you begin to rule for God, all the while you know you're not Him. And there's a tremendous frustration that, that you would have a God so weak that He would put you in charge. Remember the classic, remember the classic line from Groucho, Groucho Marx? I would never belong to a club that would stoop so low as to have me as a member. <laughs> there is that, that inkling, see. There's a difference here between seeking to help God and God, letting God use you however He wants and you representing God. Now, it doesn't, seem to be, it doesn't seem to be very apparent along the line, but the reason I tell this to you again, the reason I'm being so picky here, is that, that uh, uh, little things always develop into big things. Little mistakes, given enough time, will develop into major heresies. Little, little uh, uh, jokes at the beginning or, or little funny things will, will develop into major mistakes. One of the reasons... Uh, we have three boys. One of the reasons we've never let them play, play practical jokes on one another is it never stops with a practical joke. It always escalates into a major war. I, heard, I read a story one, uh, not last week about uh, uh, Mickey Mantle. Remember him and the Yankees? Mickey Mantle and Billy Martin also played on the Yankees. They were going hunting one day. And... Uh, and Mickey Mantle said, well, I know this guy has a farm out here, and I think he'll let us hunt on if I just stop and ask him. And so they pull over, and, and uh, Mantle turns to Billy Martin and says, you stay here, I'll go in and ask. And so he goes up, knocks on the door, or the guy opens the door. Well, of course, he's tickled to death to see Mickey Mantle standing there and invites him in. And he says, you know, can we go hunting on your farm? And the guy says, well, sure, man, I, I, absolutely, of course you can. He said, Mickey, he said, do me a favor. I know you're going to hunt, and so you got your guns out in the car. He said, I've got an old, old mule in the barn. One of my mules, and I just have taken care of that mule, and I'm so close to that mule, but that poor old thing is in misery, and she's blind, and, and just, just in an awful state. I, I, but I haven't got the heart to shoot it. Would you shoot it for me? Don't, I, I mean, I'll take care of all the rest of it, but if you could just shoot it, I just can't do it. And Mickey says, well, sure. So on the way back to the car, he gets in his head, he's going to play a little joke on Billy. So he gets in the car and slams the door. Just acts so furious. He says, I'm so mad. I can't believe it. And Billy Martin looks at him and says, what's wrong? He says, the guy won't let us hunt. He said, I can't even believe it. I'm, so in- I'm going to go to the barn and kill one of his mules. I'm just going to shoot one of his mules. 
Mark looks at him and says, you can't do that. He says, watch me. Steps on the gas. He zoomed out of the barn. He gets out of the car and slams the door, takes his gun in the barn and shoots him you. He's coming out. He's almost to the door and he hears this, bam, bam. He goes running out. There's Billy Martin standing with his gun. He said, Billy, what are you doing? Billy says, we'll show that sucker. I just killed two of his cows. <laughs> well, the reason I, I, I'm talking about these little things that seem insignificant is because Little misperceptions, given enough time, develop into major heresies. And I tell that story at the beginning of this next section here because I know I'm going to be treading on some toes here. Uh, but I've got to do it. The next way we do theology is by our own experience. And I know that many of you theologize by your own experience. I know who God is because I've had an experience with him. And my experience was real for me, and so therefore, I can tell you who God is and what heaven's like. Probably the most famous example of that of recent uh, years has been the after-death or near-death experience of Betty Jean Eady in a book entitled Embraced by the Light. I know many of you have read this book. It's been read by hundreds of thousands of people. And it just goes to show how desperate people are to know what the afterlife is like. Now, before I get into this, let me say this. I do not doubt this woman's sincerity. I don't doubt her experience. I've had a near-death experience. I know many of you have had near-death experience. They're very real to us. But you don't do theology by your own near-death experience. You do theology by Scripture. And she's begun to do theology from her own experience. And by doing it this way, I believe she's misguiding many people into a man-centered view of heaven. See if these things sound like the biblical God to you. She says, I'll just read a few of these passages out of the book. She said, all of these things came to me, this knowledge. Remember the knowledge that's not directly tied with God talking to you, just came to, came to her. I understood the perfection of the plan. She's talking about the plan for the world. I saw that we all volunteered for our positions and stations in this world. Now, here she has, not God assigning us our plates, but we're all preexistent and volunteering for the positions and stations we have in the world. Therefore, our position in the world is our choice. Next passage. It says, and, and, and several weeks ago we talked about epistemology, or how you know what you know. I want you to know the basis of her epistemology. All creation begins in the mind, she says on page 58. Uh, people use their imagination in positive ways to the betterment of those around them. I understood, here's some more knowledge that she's gained from this experience, I understood that life is lived most fully in the imagination. And ironically... Imagination is the key to reality. So now we're understanding from this that we can grasp reality from our own imagination. Here's another passage. This, here she's talking about uh, that Jesus. I'm, I'm smiling here because I've heard this. I've heard all this stuff as I've, as I've you know, talked around uh, the town here. 
<clears throat> knowledge of the Savior <clears throat> that I will always cherish. His concern for my feelings was inspiring. He never wanted to do or say anything that would offend me. Yep, that's what it says. Don't know how that goes over with Jesus in the temple, but it's what it says. Now she's talking about God. He has all power to answer prayers, but... Listen to this. He is bound by his own law and by our wills. God here in her understanding, is bound by us. God is bound to let us act for ourselves, but he is also willing to help in any way possible. So here, we're calling the shots, and God's the helper. Okay? Just a couple more. <clears throat> now, she, now she talks about why things happen the way they do. Each experience, she came to understand, each experience was a tool for me to grow by. Every unhappy experience allowed me to obtain a greater understanding about myself. And just one uh, or, or two more passages, two more passages. This is, I, I mention this because I hear so many people talking about this too. And it's just another, kind of another indication of our self-centeredness. And our, ra- our reasoning for our self-centeredness. This expanded knowledge gave me the perspective I needed to truly forgive myself. And I understood that forgiveness of self is where all forgiveness starts. But to love others as I love myself, I first really had to love myself. Now I hear this almost every week. And I want you to know... This is not the biblical order. You don't love others by loving yourself first. If you love yourself first, that's where you'll stop. You love others by loving God first. Read Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. Jesus has it exactly right in the right order when he gives the great commandment. And the great commandment is this. That thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and mind and strength. Then thy neighbor as thyself. You heard it right as a kid. You didn't hear it wrong. Somehow through therapy, this thing (laughs) has taken a wrong turn. I'm telling you, it's not wrong to appreciate the life that God has given you. That's a wonderful thing, but you don't do that by starting out with you. Start out with you, that's exactly where you'll stay. Now let me go just to this last thing here. Because this kind of puts it in a nutshell. Here she's talking with his heavenly counsel who, who have made a mistake because she's died before her time. You know, can't you see the glitch in the system here? Oh, what are you doing here? Shoot, happened again, you know. <laughs> Hate it when that happens. Here somebody died ahead of time. Some plan, huh? <clears throat> He see God up there going, oh, gosh, I can never get this thing right, you know? <laughs> Some God. 
So here's this heavenly council. I, I shouldn't. I, I, I'll, I'll atone for this in a minute. <laughs> um, this heavenly council says, and Jesus is among them, you have not completed your mission on earth, they said. You must go back. But we will not compel you. The choice is yours. So she really didn't want to, see? So she starts bargaining. I love this part. She starts bargaining. And she says, first, I received a promise from each present, including Jesus. I made them promise that the moment my mission was complete, they would take me back home. They agreed to my terms. <laughs> and things were put in motion for my return. Well, you know, look, I'm not making fun of this woman because she's not saying anything that is not the tendency of us all. To understand heaven in terms of our life, our mission, God helping us. You see, when you do theology from your own experience, you know why that's false theology. Who is at the center of your experience? You are. Who made the world? God did. Something's wrong in this system. Something's wrong. If you want to know how something really is, you've got to go to the maker. We had that, uh, uh, this uh, thing I didn't tell the rest of it. We had the, the uh, children's sermon last night, and, uh, and they brought in a picture a little two-year-old had painted, you know, and everybody get, got to guess what it was. You've been through that, haven't you? And man, they just went all over the thing, you know, and the thing was kind of a blob with a little thing on top, you know? And, and then finally, they, just, they, they went to the, the, the one who painted it, you know? And, of course, we got the normal answers, you know? One kid said Jesus, one said God. You know, there's always the, you know, always the church kids that'll tell you uh, Jesus-God answer. But, but the, they went to the little girl who painted it. She said, it's a lion, you know? Nobody had even come close. I mean, it didn't... But the, but the way you know is to go to the author and to go to what he has done and that's the way we know what the world is like. Well, let me tell you one more thing that we, that we do here. In this culture, some people don't do theology by experience. They do theology by speculation. That is, they don't know from up what heaven's like, but they just start guessing. You run into a lot of this in the world. And they sound so scientific. They sound so reasonable. And they're taking their, they're taking their theology from some sort of formula that they, that they have. A good example of that is a recent book by Frank Tipler called The Physics. He's a physicist. The Physics of Immortality. And the subtitle is um, Modern Cosmology, God, and the Resurrection of the Dead. Now, that's a pretty interesting title, isn't it? Problem is, he does this all by physics. I love this. The book's full of equations. You know, he's showing everybody the physics, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Does he believe in God? Not yet. But, he says, while as God doesn't exist right now, he will someday. You know why? Because, <laughs> I'm sorry. Because the cape, I don't know how, they paid this guy a half a million dollars retainer to write this book. Can you believe this? That's how many people they think are going to buy this book. Holy cow. So anyhow, the capabilities of computers, he says, is doubling every 18 months. Now, if we just wait long enough, we're going to have 
this Mongo computer that can manipulate the laws of physics and can manipulate the genetic reconstruction of people. And it will be able, that, that by the way will be God, and it will be able to, to reconstruct or resurrect everyone who has ever died, only it'll make them nice. says right in it. Says, says they're going to bring back Hitler and he'll be a nice guy. Stalin, nice guy. Matahari, wonderful woman. Holy cow. Do you, do you see? I keep referring to my Hindu brothers. Holy cow. Do you see? Do you, do you see? The American mentality that wants to get rid of a God who is in charge, who can judge you, and replace him with a God who can only help you reach your fullest potential. You see? Well, you know what? I think even if you could dream those dreams as a Christian, it wouldn't take you very long before you would be very dissatisfied with them. You know why? I'll tell you why. It says right in the book. Because those things hold you captive. It says, through philosophy and empty deception, people take you captive in thinking that you're going to be someday a replacement for God. That you can replace God as the center of the universe. As a matter of fact, it says in verse 18, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. That is, the prize is the upward call of Christ. Remember that in Philippians chapter 3? By delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angel, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. Anything that's outside of this book is a product of a fleshly mind. And if it's a product of a fleshly mind, sooner or later it will imprison you in something too small for you. You know the bait and switch that Satan always uses? The bait and switch is he starts off with something that makes you seem more important than you are and he ends up with a responsibility that is much too big for you to handle. And that's what happens in this last view of heaven. The view that says heaven is all about your improved status. Heaven is all about helping you fulfill your own particular individual potential. That you can have knowledge apart from a relationship with God, true knowledge apart from what God has given you himself. Even the book itself says that if you try to interpret this book on your own without Christ interpreting it for you, that it's impossible. You know this Bible to non-believers is just a ridiculous book of riddles. They look at this thing and they go, this makes no sense. It's full of contradictions. It's primitive. It's off. Of course they would say, they can't. It's hidden from their eyes. They can't read it. They can't understand this. It says right, it says right in, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, it says this. Know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, 
But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoken from God. You've got to be moved by the Holy Spirit before you can even understand this. And you've got to be moved by the Holy Spirit before you can understand this world and heaven. Only God can teach you, and you can only learn from Him if you have a relationship with Him. And if you have a relationship with Him, watch this. You can let Him be God. It's kind of neat. You can kind of resign the general chairmanship of the universe. And you don't have to be all that you ever hoped you would be. You don't have to sing the army song or ever. Be all you can be. And the more you are, the better it's going to be. You don't have to do that. You can just be a child and say, Daddy, help. There are things in here I can't do, but you can there are things I can't handle, but you can. And I don't know what to do with them. So I'm depending on you because you're the center of the universe. Do these things according to your will. Put things in my life that seem so important in your perspective. Let me tell you one story. Now, quick. It's a story. Terry, by the way, in the bookstore knows this missionary. It's a story about Gladys Alward. She's a missionary in China. And she was a missionary there uh, before the invasion of the Japanese. She ran an orphanage. And as the Japanese invaded the Chinese mainland, um, um, I think it was the Chinese mainland, it been, yeah, I think so, um, she watched these armies come in and she gathered up those children because she was afraid they were going to be killed by the Japanese. Gathered a hundred children, watch this, a hundred children. There was her and one assistant. They took a hundred children, fled the city, headed toward the border. As they continued to watch the advancement of the Japanese armies, she grew more and more tired, more and more exhausted, more and more desperate, more and more in despair. And one day she was in absolute utter despair as she watched those advancing armies. And, and this little girl came up to her and reminded her about Moses. She said, you remember about Moses, the story about Moses and the advancement of the armies of the Pharaoh? You remember, just do like Moses. And Gladys looked at her and said, oh, but I'm not Moses. And the little girl looked at her and said, well, of course you're not. But God is still God. There's the ticket. Yeah. yeah. I've got... I've got just some great news for you this morning. You're not Moses. And I'm not either. And that's good news. I'm not Peter and I'm not Paul and neither are you. I'm not Deborah and I'm not Esther and neither are you. But none of us have to be because God is still God. And God does in our lives what fulfills His purpose. And we can call on Him to do exactly that. And He will respond to us in faith as he responded to them. Pray with me. God, help us to understand and to continually realize that we are not the center of the universe. You are. And help us to be glad and relieved about that. Help us, Lord God, to not try to build up a knowledge bank on our own from which we operate so that someday we can dedicate our life to you. Build us up in Christ 
and through him and through our relationship with Christ teach us what we need to know to be a blessing to others as you work in our lives. Remind us, Lord God, this whole thing is up to us. It's up to you. It's up to you. And we're glad.